Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is well into his first missionary journey. He has experienced much success, borne good fruit for the church in several cities in what is now modern, do they still call it Turkey? And he is, we will see this morning, he is on his way back home. He is retracing his steps from the far, farthest point of his journey. He is going back the way he came. Beginning in verse 19 of Acts 14, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had pointed the elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little, no little time with the disciples. Father, we ask that you might show us this morning your word, your truth, and your lesson. Help us to understand principles that we may remember and live by. For your glory. Amen. Reading or studying any part of the Bible is, for some people, a little difficult, a little mysterious. It's hard to understand. But there are some basic principles that you can, you can follow, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. Basic principles in order to understand Scripture. First off, always understand the context. Get an understanding, and you can find commentaries and, and helps. People have done research and found out who the original audience was, what kind of people they were like, what, what was going on during their historical period. Find out as much about the context as you can from the original audience. And then try and understand why the books were written, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. Why was it written to the original audience? What help or what encouragement or what instruction did the apostles or the Old Testament prophets offer them through their words, through their writings? And as we are in Acts in the New Testament church, let me ask, what were the original Christians expected to do with this? You could ask the same thing about Old Testament lessons, but 
what were the original Christians expected to do? Once you find that, once you understand that from your reading the, in the Bible, you get to ask yourself the same kind of questions. The same lessons that applied to them apply to you and me. There's a lot of things that change, but a lot of things stay the same. Sinners lived in ancient times. Sinners are alive today. Same kind of struggles with fear and lusts and improper appetites and improper behavior. Same kind of lessons applied to them, applied to you and me. In the book of Acts, we read a lot of exciting and encouraging things. We read about a lot of persecution, too. If you're of the mind and heart of being very evangelistic, Acts can be exciting because they share the gospel quite a bit. That's their purpose. That's what's going on here. And you tend to diminish the lessons or the scripture passages about the persecution. But I need to remind you, as I have before, our Lord Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He told that to his disciples 2,000 years ago. He is telling that to us today. Most of the world rejects the Bible's authority. Most of the world wants to suppress Christian influence. We can, there are a lot of reasons we can offer, and most of them are sound reasons. But the biggest basic foundational reason is that the world just hates truth. How many of you remember the early years of America's Got Talent TV show. Simon Cowell is on there. And people would get up on that stage and they would perform some something. They could not sing. They had no talent. And the other judges were kind of gracious and polite, but they didn't really like And Simon Cowell would just tell them, this is the worst thing I have ever heard. Why did you even come here? And people hated the man, but he was telling the truth. This world hates truth. And as we look at Acts, we see persecution along with truth. The forces of Satan, the forces of the devil, are trying to suppress the righteous gospel, the righteous message of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we, as his church, are called to go out and share that gospel with those enemies of God who would have us quieted, persecuted, put down, sequestered, imprisoned, killed. Forbes magazine published an article, published a report that was processed or produced by Open Doors. Open Doors is an international non-governmental organization. They advocate on behalf, on behalf of persecuted Christians. 
and from a study they conducted from October of 2019 to September of 2020. Twelve full months, and they do this every year. The report comes out every January. This is the most recent one they found. It is a watch list that assesses the countries where Christians face the most severe types of persecution. Among 340 million Christians, 309 of them were living in countries where they might suffer very high or extreme levels of persecution. And these are just the countries that they consider high risk for persecution. 309 of them were living in countries where they might suffer very high or extreme levels of persecution. The Open Doors article emphasizes that's one in eight worldwide, that's one in six in Africa, that's two out of five in Asia, that's one in 12 in Latin America. They did not report on the United States. They don't consider us to be persecuted, but it's coming. Their research also found that in this time period, one year, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. 4,277 Christians were unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned. On average, for that year, every day, 13 Christians were killed for believing in Jesus. Persecution continues today. In the 21st century, according to this article, in the 21st century, it is still not possible to practice Christian faith in safety. God's people were persecuted in biblical times. God's people are persecuted today. This is plain fact. And you and I need to really deal with it. When we read or study the book of the Bible or the book of Acts, we need to understand the context. We need to understand what the original audience was experiencing. That's what we're trying to do. We need to understand why the books were written, particularly this book of Acts. Why did Luke write it to the early church? And what help or encouragement or instruction did the apostles offer them? It's going to help us as well. What were the early Christians expected to do? The early Christians were expected to remain faithful and be bold for Christ. Hence the title of our message. Remain faithful and be bold for Christ. So there's five quick points I'd like to share with you this morning. The Word of God authorizes the church. The Word of God enables the church. The Word of God instructs the church. And the Word of God nourishes the church. And the Word of God encourages the church. Authorize, enables, instructs, nourishes, and encourages. 
Looking at Acts 19, we see the beginning. It's, it's kind of transitioning from last week's message. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. He had already been preaching in the city for several weeks, and they came from other cities that Paul had already been and tried to kill him. In fact, they were so sure he was dead. But he got back up, went right back in the city, and carried on with his mission the next day with Barnabas. He rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. The word of God authorizes the church. When our Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives, the day, the day, before, the day of his ascension, gave his disciples, all of his followers, the Great Commission. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. He also promised, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. In that great commission, it's not just a command, there is authority there. There is the right, the responsibility, the duty to proclaim the gospel. There are many in this world that do not respect the authority of God's word or the authority of the church. That does not diminish our responsibility to proclaim it. There are a lot of people who say, well, Christians don't have any right to impose their morality on us. I would beg to differ with you. Maybe the word impose is not the right kind of word that we should use. But we should challenge this world. As one apologeticist once said, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God and his, with, and his word. It is eternal. It is everlasting. It is righteous. It is undeniable. And you've got to deal with that. Because one day you shall come before that holy and righteous God and have to answer to him. That's where we need to remind people of their need. When Christ called us and promised that we shall rule and reign with him, this is what he is talking about. Proclaiming the gospel is proclaiming the authority of God's word to a lost and dying world. His authority has trumped everything that they proclaim as perfect righteousness, complete righteousness. And we are to tell it. We are to proclaim it. We are to live it. The Word of God authorizes us, authorizes the church. The Word of God enables the church. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. 
If you have Christ Jesus in your heart, in your life, if you've received him as your Savior, you have also been given the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean you have to have goosebumps all the time. Does not mean that at all. But he does give you a spiritual power, a spiritual influence that if exercised by faith and by prayer and by reading, increases your ability to share the faith. We have the authority, we have the right, the duty, and responsibility to proclaim freely. We have been able by the, with the spiritual ability and power by the Holy Spirit. How do you exercise the spiritual power? I know that we're supposed to study, and we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to share, but And there are many ways we can exercise spiritual power. But looking at Hebrews 3, verse 6, the Bible says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Of course, he is our foundation. He is the one who has saved us. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Christian, you have the authority, you have the orders, and you have the ability. You have been, able, been enabled. Modern buzzword, you have been empowered. But I know, like myself, growing up in the faith, I struggled with fear of rejection, fear of failure. I didn't want to experience the discomfort of persecution or ridicule. But, brothers and sisters, you've got to overcome that. Christ is faithful over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The Apostle Paul, do you think that he feared? Did Peter fear? James gave his life. He died by the sword by the time Paul began his, his ministry. John suffered much persecution before he was banished to the Isle of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. All of the disciples, save John, died a violent death. Would anyone dare say, oh, they had their best life now? Why, why would they fear when they had a sure, eternal, everlasting hope that was better than anything that were promised here on earth? All of this stuff is going to burn away one day and will be reestablished in righteousness and in perfection again. A new heaven and a new earth. That's what we hope for. That's what we look forward to. Why should we worry about losing any of it now? We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
is talking about boasting. And we teach our children, you shouldn't brag. You shouldn't boast. That's pride. That's being proud. You shouldn't do that. But here it says we should. The word in the Hebrew, excuse me, the word in the Greek is kalkima. Literally means foundation for boasting or foundation for rejoicing. Last Friday night, which high school team did you hear cheer for? Which university or professional ball team did you hear for yesterday on the sports sports broadcasts? Did your team win? Did you brag about it? Did you rejoice over the victory? Do we ever rejoice over Christ? He is my victor. He is my champion. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Why should we fear? The Word of God authorizes the church. The Word of God enables the church. The Word of God instructs the church. Back to our text, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Listen carefully. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He's saying, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, but know this. We've got a lot of struggling to do. But we're on our way to a sure kingdom. An important ministry of the church is encouragement and honest instruction. Looking at the word of God, we must be honest about what it teaches us. It does not give us liberty to live any way we want to, though there are some preachers today who will tell you that. It does not give us liberty to forsake the church. I wish I could rebuke every single man. Oh, well, I can worship the Lord in a deer stand or on a bow of my bass boat. Or... That's not what the Bible teaches. Forsake not yourself. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves. The ministry of the church is to encourage and to instruct Verse 23, when they appointed, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul is establishing churches. He's not establishing small group ministries. He is establishing churches. Here they have ordained elders in each church, in each city they visited. The kingdom of God is growing. So these are churches. Church leadership, church government, church structure. When they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word of Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, and when they, where they had been commanded to the grace of excuse me, commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that God had done with them all that God had done with him and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples.
The Word of God authorizes the church. The Word of God enables the church. The Word of God instructs the church. The Word of God nourishes the church. The Word of God encourages the church. Hebrews 13.5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When you think of the possible persecution sometime in your future, does it make you nervous? Are you a little frightened? Here's the encouragement we find in Christ Jesus. What can man do for me? The Lord is my Savior. He is my eternal life. If I lose everything here, I have him to look forward to. I cannot help but think that the author of Hebrews, when he wrote these words, was also thinking of Psalm 118. And if you're familiar with the 118th Psalm, I am certain it is the Psalm our Lord prayed, or one of the Psalms our Lord prayed, or perhaps even sung in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is, uh, is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust, Lord than to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I am convinced this is one of the psalms he was praying, praying, or perhaps even singing. Trusting in the Lord his Father and saying, what can man do to me? Knowing full well what man was about to do to him. What you need to understand, Christian, the persecution that our Lord Jesus endured was for your sake. for your salvation, for your redemption. Because this world hated him, and he came to offer this world righteousness and grace and mercy, and they despised him for it. And we are to take this same message, and they will despise you for it. Romans 8.31, the Apostle Paul asks us, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. 
I keep seeing more and more American Christians are very weak in faith and easily disappointed. God didn't hear my prayer. God didn't answer this. God didn't do that. I'm not going to believe anymore. May I share with you a story of a young lady named Sanjana. This is from The Voice of the Martyrs magazine. She was a Muslim who lived in, or she is a Muslim who lives in northern Egypt. Or, well, she was a Muslim. She still lives in northern Egypt. When she was 13 years old, one, she started asking a question of one of her school teachers who she happened to discover was a Christian. Christians were allowed to live there, but they were not allowed to share their faith. She was just curious. And this teacher didn't want to lose her job, didn't want to cause any problems, and said, you need to go. She directed her to one of Sanjana's neighbors. And the neighbor began to answer her questions and gave her a gospel of Matthew. And Sanjana wrapped it up and hid it in a hole in the ground, read it whenever she could possibly do it, every chance she could get. And she got saved. And her father one day noticed, what's wrong? You're not praying five times to Allah anymore. And she just boldly told her father, it's a teenager. I don't know if it's this teenager rebellious angst or not, but it, she told her father boldly, I am now a follower of Jesus. And her father began to beat her, raged at her, locked her in her room for three years called the imam, their local mosque preacher. Imams are the preachers. They are the teachers. They are the holy men. Here, go in and humiliate my daughter. Because of this pulpit, I can't tell you what this article says that man did to her. Her younger sister realized what her sister, her older sister, was was enduring, and helped her escape. And they lived on the street in Cairo for a while until her family found her and dragged her back, locked her up again, arranged a marriage to a Muslim man that lasted for about a year. Here's someone who came to faith in a very difficult time, endured persecution, and never said, God doesn't love me. She never said, I don't believe anymore. She said, I will believe the one who saves my soul. I will be the one who redeemed me. In fact, in her own words, he was asked, 
why she never rejected her faith in Christ during the years of severe abuse. She gave a sound biblical answer, quote, Suppose I was living in a pigsty like the prodigal son. Then Jesus cleansed me and washed me, eating clean food and wearing clean clothes. How can I go back just to escape suffering? I am an ambassador to my God now. How can I become a slave once again? You compare this young lady to most American Christians, and I've seen so many of them. It's really heartbreaking to see someone turn away from the faith for such a small price and knowing that there are so many who endure so much and remain solid. The Word of God authorizes the church. The Word of God enables the church. The Word of God instructs the church. The Word of God nourishes the church. The Word of God encourages the church. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word and its truth and its power. We ask that as we come to this table together to share that we might remember how merciful you have been to us and how gracious you have been, that we might remember how you have cleansed us You have washed us. You have fed us. You have cared for us. Let us rejoice together in this and proclaim your love for us and our love for you. In the name of our Savior we pray. Amen.